Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Way of Life. I'm your host Gus Holland. Today is another solo episode, but we're going to be covering weightlifting in ancient Greece. Now, before we get into it, I do want to give a giant shout out to Be Humble Jim. Jordan, the founder, was a guest on episode 19 of the podcast and has since sent me a couple shirts to rep Be Humble Jim. For those of you that don't know, Jordan Matulovich is a powerlifting coach and military veteran. Jordan, along with his wife, Leslie, formed Be Humble Gym, which is a nonprofit organization that helps special needs athletes with both physical and mental disabilities and is completely free to the athlete. They are currently in the process of building a new facility, and you should definitely check them out at BeHumbleGym.com. All donations are tax deductible. With that being said, let's get into today's episode. Greek exercise and weight training can be traced back as far as 3500 BC, but didn't really get well documented and openly available to the public until over a thousand years later. Exercise and weightlifting was not considered a sport uh, in the very beginning stages of ancient Greece. It was mainly to focus on your physique, your capabilities, and to give honor and praise to your gods. At this time, Greek men would focus primarily on running, push-ups, pull-ups, lifting various stones, logs, animals, and each other to help increase their strength. Now, once weightlifting became more of a sport or more accepted as a sport, um, that is when different implements were created to test one's strength and to specify training a little bit more. The main weightlifting implements that have been documented are various forms of stones uh, resembling atlas stones. The highest highest weighing documented stone was 316 pounds, um, and it was actually, once it was successfully lifted, was engraved with a message claiming who lifted the stone. The man's name was Bybon, B-Y-B-O-N. Obviously, many men looked up to Her- the story of Hercules uh, since it was, since it is one of the top Greek mythological tales that focus or have a center around having supernatural physical power. However, not all stories from that time were myth. Um, it is documented that there's an athlete named Milo of Croton, C-R-O-T-O-N, who was said to have built his strength by carrying the same growing cow up a hill for weeks to become strong. Basically, the cow is constantly growing, and each week would be heavier and heavier, and that is how he increased his weight load. Socrates was quoted as saying, What a disgrace it is for a man to grow old without ever seeing the beauty and strength of which his body is capable. Um, This is just a quick glimpse into the perspective and thought patterns of Greek society at the time. 
Now the Stone of Babin can be seen exhibited at the Museum of the History of the Olympic Games of Antiquity in Olympia, Greece. The rock is actually a block of red sandstone with two deep notches carved into it. Um, this is to be used as a handle and so the rock can be used as a free weight. The inscription on the stone reads, Bybon, son of Fola, has lifted me overhead with one hand. Another amazing and very interesting lifting weight that was used in ancient Greece is called a halter, with the plural being halters. These are normally held one in each hand, and you would run with them to do a, um, a distance jump. And right before you go for your long jump, you would swing these um, to create a pendulum effect and increase your distance on the jump. These were primarily used for training. However, they would, for example, if they were doing three jumps for distance, they would often do the first jump with the halters and then drop them and do the second and third without them. Now, these stones would weigh anywhere between 2 and 9 kilograms apiece. That is between 4 and 20 pounds, and were often cited for adding anywhere from 7 inches to 10 feet to your long jump total distance. This is all obviously depending on the weight of them, your proficiency with using them, etc. The closest thing I could really describe them to is if you took a circular stone broke it in half, and carved a handle towards the top of them. Similar to a dumbbell, but off the, the handle is off-center. Now, all of this training would eventually lead to more and more competitions, um, not only between men, but between cities. This eventually led to, in 776 BC, the first ever foot race. This foot race would be considered the first Olympi official Olympic Games, and this would lead to more and more competition um, between groups of people over a wide variety of different events, not only running, but some others that I've already listed, as well as gymnastics. Eventually, over time, there became a large dispute, or a minor dispute that turned large between... Um, Athenians and the Spartans. They both grew to dislike the Olympic Games for one form, one reason or another, but Athenians and Spartans differed. Athenians found excessive straining of an athlete distaste, distasteful and beneath a common gentleman. And Eury Euripides said later on that an, that the athlete tribe were slaves to their belly they didn't know how to make money, and they didn't know how to bear poverty. He also claimed that athletes just strut around basically when they're younger, and although they look good and they're you know they have greater strength, etc. Eventually, in their old age, they'd be crippled and be bad for society. Now, Spartans, although they were the largest presence at the Olympics in 576 BC, they completely withdrew from the Olympic Games because of their disagreements with the other participants, basically. Around this time, people started to go as spectators, and many different things were incorporated into the Olympics. Uh, various forms of arts and poetry would be added to entertain the crowds between events, 
which in my opinion isn't a bad idea because you obviously want the spectators to be entertained. Um, but the Spartans were very against this. Um, they were very much more regimented and didn't see why arts and poetry and things like that needed to be added to a sports event. Um, this led to a very, very much a athlete versus soldier mentality. Spartan drills were created, basically a regimented exercise to specifically get someone trained for combat or war. And around the same time, coaches were created, which would, you know, obviously focus more on training an athlete for a specialized activity. This would lead Sparta to forbade its citizens from attending or competing in any Olympic activity. Fast forward a little bit later, and in 393 AD, Theodosius I, who was a Christian, would completely abolish the games. The last winner of the Olympics in this time period is an Armenian knight named Veristad. The first gyms in ancient Greece function as training facilities for competitors in public games before the Olympic. It was also a place to socialize and engage in intellectual pursuits. This would often be debates or sometimes various intellectuals, which they called men of letters, would give speeches. The term gymnasium came from the ancient Greek term hymnos, meaning naked or nude. Um, only adult male citizens were allowed to use the hymnasia. They would compete completely nude and perform most activities nude. It's pretty strange, <laughs> uh, especially from today's practices. They were typically very large structures and would not only have a, an area for to practice wrestling and various other strength activities, but they would also have an area to host these public lectures and um, disputes and also would have kind of like a bathhouse for people, for, for the men. The main thing that these gyms focused on um, primarily were wrestling, boxing, and various ball games. The um, scholar, scholarly and philosophical pursuits weren't really a focus until later, kind of around the time that they started incorporating the arts and you know, poems into the entertainment of the Olympic game. Um, these gyms would have changing rooms and these men would basically take all their clothes off, rub their bodies with olive oil, and then later clean their bodies with something called a strigil. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's S T R I G I L. Uh, this is a tool for cleansing the body by scraping off dirt, sweat, and oil. This was primarily only used in the bathing cultures of ancient Greek and Roman people. As far as the organization of these gyms go, the only people permitted were men over the age of 18 who specifically wanted to train in these various physical exercises. They were supervised by public officials that were called Gymnasiarchs, if that's, uh, or I'm guessing in their pronunciation, it would be Hymnasiarchs, I believe. And they were responsible to basically make sure everyone was safe, but also following the rules of the various sports and everything, kind of, kind of like a referee. They would also help 
train, teach, and coach others. Um, there is uh, some description of Cretan hymnasias, hymnasias, and the common meals that they would eat in Book One of Plato's Laws. Um, that's an open source book that you can find um, online. As far as location goes, these gyms were normally on city outskirts and didn't really have any structures around them or in very, very little trees and everything is basically like large open space. Later on, they would become, you know, bigger and bigger to provide more room for activities and everything. Um, so much room for activities, but um, they would be later placed in more populated areas with easy access to clean, fresh running water. That about wraps it up for this episode of Way of Life. Appreciate everybody listening. You can follow the podcast at Way of Life Podcast on Instagram. Uh, we also have a TikTok, which will be in the description below. And there will also be the hotline. If you want to call in and suggest a topic be covered, suggest a guest for future for an episode eh, for a future episode. Um, that's all greatly appreciated. And Look forward to talking to you all next week.